everyone. I'm Jess and I'll be doing our first Bible reading for tonight. It is Mark 13, 1 to 37, which is a sneaky way of saying the whole chapter, uh, and on page 872. So strap yourselves in. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything. Let no one in the field go back to get the cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short these days, no one would survive it. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress... The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But what about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father? Be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, 
keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Hi, my name's Rachel. I'll be reading the next Bible reading, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that, that we are still, who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and the, with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, church. Nice to see you this evening. My name is Paul. I haven't met you. Uh, Jesus tells us to watch. That's the word he uses. Watch, he says. Keep watch, be alert, be on your guard. I want to say that watching is different to waiting. Watching is different to waiting because waiting is a, a, a passive thing. Uh, watching is an active thing. It's possible to, to wait for something and just get so distracted that you forget what you're waiting for. But if you're watching, then you are alert. You're looking, you're longing, you're yearning, you're watching. Now, Jesus tells us to, to wait patiently for his return, to wait for that day when he's going to return. But more than that, he says to watch for it, to look for it, to long for it, to yearn for it, to be eager for that great day. There's a story of a, a, a fishing boat. They've been out fishing for the day. They're coming back to their hometown. It's in Scotland. And the sailors are all on that boat. And they're looking for their wives. And the skipper says, oh, I see, Bill, that's your wife, Margaret. And, and Harry, that's your wife, Brenda. Uh, but John, I don't see your wife. And John's heart is heavy. And he hurries home and he opens the door and his wife says, oh, darling, John, I, I've been waiting for you. And John says, I, I know you've been waiting, darling, but the other wives have been watching. They were there at the shore looking for us as we returned. And I share that story because, church, are you just waiting for the return of Jesus? Getting distracted with the everyday life? Or are you watching do you live each day eagerly anticipating, looking and longing and say, it could be today? I want to say the return of Christ, it should radically and holistically change every part of your existence. It should change the way that you spend your time and your talents because we should be investing in things that are going to last for eternity, yeah? 
is to change your attitude towards suffering and injustice and the brokenness of our world because we should be longing for that day when this crazy, messed up world is put right. It should change your, your passion and your, your urgency for evangelism because you, if you really believe that Christ could come back any time, you should want those that you know and love to be ready, Yes? Uh, the return of Christ should be this, this backdrop for life that changes everything. As an 18th century pastor called Horatio Bona, and, and, and he went to bed every single night, and, and he, as he closed his curtains every night, he used to say, perhaps tonight, Lord, perhaps tonight. And in the morning he opened his curtains and said, perhaps today, Lord, perhaps today. See, here's my challenge for us. Are we living each day as if Christ could come back now? We we claim to believe it. Here's the statement of faith from our website. It says this. We believe, we the Bridge Church believe the end of the world is approaching. That the last day Jesus Christ will return to the earth visibly and personally to establish his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. We believe in the bodily resurrection of both the saved and the lost, that a solemn separation will take place. The lost will be judged to endless punishment and the saved to eternal life with Christ. God will preserve and keep all who truly belong to Christ for that last and great day. That's what we claim to believe. We believe the Lord is coming again visibly and personally. He's coming again to wrap up all the injustice, the sickness, the suffering, the persecution of this world. He's coming again in power and in glory. He's coming again to to raise the dead, to execute judgment and usher a new kingdom. He's coming again to to fulfill what was begun at Calvary, our great eternal salvation. He's coming again. Now, we might in this room disagree on some of the details But surely you must agree with that simple truth that Jesus Christ is coming again, yes? Now we claim to believe it. We sing songs about it. We're about to sing, How Great Thou Art. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and bring me home, what joy will fill my heart. We sing it. But do you live each day with this longing, this watching this expectation, are you inspired and motivated by the return of Christ? That's why we're looking at eschatology. Escat means end times. Ology means study of, the study of the end times. We've got just five weeks. Tonight I'm looking at the return of Christ. Uh, Next week, living in the last days. Week three, judgment and hell. Week four, our resurrection bodies and the rewards of heaven. Week five, heaven and the hope we have. Now, I think eschatology is perhaps the most neglected doctrine in our church. It is referred to over 350 times in the New Testament alone. And yet most Christians have never heard a sermon series, let alone a sermon on eschatology. And if we have, it's often wacky or a bit distorted. But we're living in the last days. Christ has been raised. Now Christ is about to return. So the aim of this series is not just to 
to stimulate your intellectual satisfaction. The aim of this series is to help you to live differently. To use the time left on earth to, to preach to more people, to help more people, to pray more urgently and to long for this great and glorious meeting with your Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be the best meeting you've ever been to. Look at these words from 1 Thessalonians 4. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to meet him. We're going to see him. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. This is the meeting that you should get most excited about. Better than the meeting at the Red Sea when God delivered his people. Better than the meeting at Mount Sinai where God gave the law. Better than the meeting at Mount Carmel where, where Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven. Better than the meeting on the Sermon on the Mount where, where Jesus taught his flock. Better than the meeting on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came with, with fire and with the rushing of wind. Better than that meeting where Peter preached that sermon and 3,000 people got saved. This is the best meeting you're ever going to go to. You're going to see Jesus face to face. And I, as a pastor, just want to make sure that every single person in this room is ready for that meeting. And that those that you know and love are ready for that meeting. Let's start this sermon series with a a simple phrase. The Lord Jesus is coming again. The Lord Jesus is coming again. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. In the scriptures there, there are three words for that coming word, the coming again word. The most common word is the word parousia, parousia. It just means the arrival of a king. The arrival of a king. It's a bit like if if the queen were coming to this church, I would get excited, I would get expectant, I'd prepare, I'd look forward to that day. And what the scripture says is that the king is coming. The king's going to arrive in power and in glory and in splendor. It's going to be this day of pomp. It's going to be a day to remember. The parousia, he's coming. The second word is the word appearing or revealing. So 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed or appears from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. It's this idea that that Jesus will reveal himself again, make himself known. Again, it's a bit like when you've got a a commissioned work of a statue or an artwork and someone puts a cloth over it, it's it's veiled. And you all lock up to the art gallery for this great unveiling. And someone removes that cloth so you can see this amazing statue. That's the word used here. That Jesus is going to unveil himself reveal himself because here's the fact none of us here have yet seen Jesus oh we love him we haven't yet seen him oh we experience him through the Holy Spirit but we haven't seen him face to face we live by faith not by sight yes but on that great day you're going to see him he's going to appear 
You're going to get to see him face to face. You're going to bow before him. And you have this privilege of saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for everything you did for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving for me. It's the arrival of a king. It's the appearing of your saviour. The third word used is the word day. We often quote Hebrews 10, you know, don't stop meeting together as some are in a habit of doing, but encourage each other even more as you see the day approaching, the day. Not your birthday, not a wedding day, not an anniversary, but the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, the day of Jesus, the day, the day, the day, that day. So the Lord Jesus is coming again, fact. I've got seven quick truths. Number one, it's certain. It will happen. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 14, uh, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, I love this. Uh, Your hope for the future, your certainty for the future is firmly grounded in the past. Now, Jesus said he would die. And he did die. Do you believe that? Jesus said he would rise, and on the third day he was raised from the dead. Do you believe that? We believe Jesus died. We believe Jesus rose from the dead. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. We believe that what Jesus said would happen would happen. And Jesus said he would come again. Mark 13, 26. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds, with great power and with glory. So Jesus said he would come again. So friends, either Jesus is a liar or he will return. You choose. I know it's 2,000 years, but Jesus always, always, always keeps his promises, doesn't he? If Jesus doesn't keep this promise, how can we trust anything he ever said? This is the only thing left to happen. And we can discuss and debate whether we are a pre-millennialist, a post-millennialist, or an amillennialist. Uh, check out a podcast that will come out at the end of the week. We'll discuss that later on this week. Let's not get bogged down in all these details. You've got to believe this is going to happen. And if you believe it, it changes everything about your life. Now, this wonderful, creative, yet broken world will one day be restored or the distress, or the disease, or your fears, or your failures, it will all be made new. And all your present sufferings, no matter how hard or how painful, they will not last forever. That's why you pray, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. It's certain, number two, it's personal. It's personal, at 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. This is so important, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Just as Jesus came personally at Bethlehem, just as Jesus personally was ascended into heaven, bodily, physically ascended, so he will return the same way, Acts chapter 1. Now this might sound really obvious, but way too many churches teach that Jesus Christ will not personally return. It will be the aroma of Christ. It will be a spiritual return. No, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see Jesus. That's what you're looking for, Jesus himself in person. We're not looking for something to happen. We're looking for someone to come. 
It's a bit like when you, you're waiting on a train station. You can be waiting for a train, and that's dull and that's mundane. But if you're waiting for someone, you, who, someone whom you love who is on that train, then that changes the waiting, doesn't it? You're not waiting for a thing, you're waiting for a person. And perhaps, just perhaps that's why you're not yearning and excited for the return of Christ. Perhaps there's no emotional yearning because it's all about this theological truth. Tozer said this, an intellectual knowledge of what the New Testament teaches about the return of Christ is a poor substitute for a love-inflamed desire to look on his face. I want to say that the more you know Jesus now, the more you love Jesus now, the more you serve Jesus now, the more you talk to him now, the more you long for him, because it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. And so if your relationship with Jesus now is on fire, you will yearn to see him face to face. It's certain, it's personal, It'll be unmissable. Jesus will visibly return and no one's going to miss it. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. The Lord himself will, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. This is loud. This is majestic. This is spectacular. A loud command with authority and with power. With the trumpet call of God because Jesus is going to call us home. The New Year's fireworks will look pathetic compared to this glorious day. I hope you know that the Bible never uses the word second coming. That word second coming was, in, was invented by Justin Martin in the second century. And I think that's deliberate because if you call it the second coming, you make comparison to the first coming. When Jesus came the first time, he came in obscurity in a smelly, dirty stable in Bethlehem. But when he comes again, he's going to be in glory and all eyes will see him. When he came the first time, just a few people saw him. When he comes again, every eye will see him. When he came the first time, he came to a life of, of humility and sacrifice and suffering and crucifixion. When he comes again, he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the splendid, all-conquering, all-powerful Lord of glory. Now, you're not going to miss it. Jesus will not slip into this world unnoticed. You ever been to the movies and, you know, when the, the, the lights dim at the beginning of the movie, the, the theatre's half empty. And at the end of the movie, the lights go up and it, it's, it's completely full and all these people have just slipped in unnoticed. That's not how Jesus Christ is going to return. I, I don't know how he's going to do this. But on that great day, he's going to come simultaneously to, to Sydney, New York, London, Paris, Rome, little town in Africa, to the Amazon jungle, and every eye is going to see him, and every knee is going to bow before him. And the point is here is that you, you shouldn't fear you're going to miss out. You shouldn't fear that he's going to come at a time where you're going to miss him. The only thing that you should fear is not being ready to meet him. So it's certain, it's personal, it's unmissable, it's unpredictable. Jesus said these words, Mark 13. 
about that day or hour? No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So no one knows the time of his coming. I don't know. You don't know. The angels don't know. Even Jesus Christ himself doesn't know. The only person who does know is God the Father. He's the only person who knows the exact hour, minute, second that Jesus Christ is going to return. Now, throughout history, all these crazy people have made these terrible predictions. The Jehovah's Witnesses predicted that Jesus would return on the 1st of October, 1914. And all these people sold their properties and they gave up their jobs. But of course, Jesus Christ did not come back. And those people are disillusioned and penniless. Church, please don't get bogged down in speculation. Don't listen to these crazy false teachers who, who claim to know. They, they can't know. Now, Jesus warned us in Mark 13. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. It is totally crazy. All these people claiming to be the Messiah. I was told at any given year about 400 people in, in Los Angeles claim to be the Messiah. Don't believe, don't believe them. At that time, says Jesus, if someone says, look, here I am, don't believe it. Be on your guard. Be discerning. Don't listen to people. I've met way too many Christians who have been so distracted by all these endless theories about when he's going to return. It's just nonsense. So why doesn't God tell us? Wouldn't it be nice if God told you the exact time and date so you could pop it in your diary? J.C. Ross says this. Uncertainty about the date of the Lord's return is calculated to keep believers in an attitude of constant expectation and preserve them from despondency. God wants us to, to live our lives expecting to be on guard, to be alert, to be ready, to be dependent, because we don't need to know everything. And yet Jesus told us there will be some signs. Do you spot that in our Matthew 13 reading? The signs of the ends of the age. He talks about the signs of distress. You'll, you'll hear of wars. And rumours of wars, does that sound familiar? Nations will rise up against nations. There'll be, there'll be famines, there'll be earthquakes. Does that sound familiar? Did you know that about 100 years ago, there was approximately 4,000 earthquakes every year? Today, there's about 20,000 earthquakes every year. And as you read about wars and famines and earthquakes, you're supposed to say, oh, that's right. That's right, Jesus Christ is coming back. The signs of distress, the signs of, of deception. He talks about uh, there's going to be false teachers, there's going to be opposition, there's going to be persecution. As you read about Christians being persecuted for your faith, you're supposed to say, that's right, Jesus Christ is coming back. And then Jesus talks about the signs of, of debauchery, a signs where we're going to live in a world where there's increased immorality and people will live like in the times of Noah, eating, drinking, exchanging wives on a scale like they've never seen before. A time of or untold wealth and greed and crazy money being spent on crazy things, the rich splashing their cash and the poor getting poorer. There'll be times where crime rates skyrocket. There'll be signs and signs and signs that this world is, is heading for that day. Now, isn't that a picture of the world that we live in? More and more opposition to Jesus. A world becoming more immoral, more selfish, more sinful. And we're supposed to live in our world and every day saying, Oh, that's right. 
Jesus Christ could come back today, perhaps, Lord, perhaps today, Lord, perhaps today. It's certain. It's personal. It's unmissable. It's unpredictable. It'll be unexpected. It'll be sudden. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2, you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I don't know whether you've ever been burgled. But from my experience, in their line of business, burglars don't tend to, to tell you exactly when they're coming. They don't send you an SMS saying, oh, Mr. Dale, just to let you know that I'm going to burgle your house tonight. So about 11 o'clock, could you leave the door open? for That would be really handy. Thank you very much. Because they want to take you by surprise. They come when you least expect it. That's what Jesus says. Mark 13, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back. In the evening, midnight, the rooster crows at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Have you ever thought about that? He could come back when you're lying on the couch in your pyjamas watching Netflix. He could come back when you are about to have your great, majestic, well-planned wedding day. He could come back as you're about to get in that plane for your first overseas trip. You don't know. Someone said, plan as though Christ were not coming back for 10 years, but live as though he were coming in 10 seconds. I love that. He's not talking about planning all these worldly things. He says, plan as though Christ is not coming back for 10 years. Plan your life with all these great gospel opportunities. Plant a church, win the lost, save the, save the lost, help the poor and needy, do great things for God for 10 years. Plan like that. But live as though he could go back in 10 seconds' time. Live on the edge. And my fear is that most of us have got these amazing worldly plans know, these great trips and these great holidays and these great renovations, we'd almost be frustrated and disappointed if Christ came back before we'd done those things. It's certain, personal, unmissable, unpredictable, unexpected. It'll be divisive. It'll be divisive. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. This is hard. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. So when Jesus returns, there's going to be this great divide. Salvation for, no, for those who know and love Christ, but condemnation for those who don't know Christ. I know that's not popular, but it is true. When Jesus Christ returns, for those who are in Christ, for those who have trusted in the blood of Jesus, for those who have accepted his sacrifice on their behalf, for those people, it's going to be this glorious day. That's our joy, that's our hope, that's our crown. But for those people who are still stubbornly, arrogantly refusing to accept the love of Christ and the blood of Jesus, for those people, it's going to be a terrible day. Punishment. Shut out from God's goodness. An eternity spent without experiencing God's love. 
The Bible does not allow us to avoid this issue. Hell is a reality just as much as heaven is a reality. And if we really believe this, then just perhaps we might have more urgency in our evangelism. Just perhaps we might have more boldness to actually talk more openly about our Lord Jesus Christ so that those people we know and love who are not yet saved are ready for that day. Certain personal, unmissable, unpredictable, unexpected, divisive, and lastly, it'll be glorious. Glorious day. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and with great glory and splendor and majesty. This is going to be the greatest day you've ever, ever experienced. Church, this life is not as good as it gets. Do you believe that? The life you're now living is not as good as it gets. Perhaps that's the real issue here. Perhaps we don't long for the return of Jesus because we are so settled in the here and now. We're so snuggled in with this world. We love this world. It's almost like Jesus Christ is just our insurance policy against death. But we're so fooled by this world that we live in. I feel we've lost this longing because we're so comfortable here. We've almost sanitized the reality of how messed up our world really is. We live in our lower North Shore bubble and we don't see all the injustice and all the poverty and all the greed and all the hatred that most people in our world live through day by day by day. I'll finish with this story. I've used it before. The missionary Gregory Fisher, he writes this. What will Jesus say when he, when he shouts... The question took me by surprise. I'd already found that West African Bible college students can ask some of the most penetrating questions about minute details of Scripture. Reverend, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16 says that Christ will descend from heaven with a loud shout. I'd like to know what that shout will be. I wanted to leave the question unanswered, to tell him that we must not go past what Scripture has revealed. But then my mind wandered to an encounter I had early in that day with a refugee from the Liberian Civil War. The man, a high school principal, told me how he was apprehended by a two-man death squad after several hours of terror as the men described how they would torture and kill him. He narrowly escaped. After hiding in a bush for two days, he was able to find his family and escape to a neighbouring country. But the escape cost him dearly. Two of his own children lost their lives. I saw flashbacks of the beggars I passed each morning on my way to the office. Every day I see how poverty destroys dignity, robs people of the best of what it means to be human. I'm haunted by the vacant eyes of people who have lost all hope. Reverend, you haven't given me an answer. What would Jesus shout? The question had not gone away. Enough, I said. He'll shout, enough, when he returns. A look of surprise opened on the face of the student. What do you mean, enough? Enough suffering. Enough starvation. Enough terror. Enough death, enough indignity, enough injustice, enough lives trapped in hopelessness, enough sickness and disease, enough time, enough, 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 enough. And if you don't feel like that, 
If you don't look at this crazy, messed up world with abuse and hatred and violence and intolerance and injustice, then I want to say you're living in this lower North Shore bubble and you're just protected from all this stuff. But if you see our world rightly and see how messed up it really is, then you might be longing and looking for this day of justice and restoration and reconciliation, longing for this great and glorious day when we're going to shout, enough! And perhaps we might cry, come Lord Jesus, please, please come. So church, would you, would you live your life watching not just waiting, looking and longing and eager and expecting for the return of Christ. Because I want to say the return of Jesus is, is the event, is the event that will make sense of this world and will make sense of your life. Let me pray. As God invites us to pray, we pray, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, we long for this day when you will bring an end to suffering, an end to sickness, an end to poverty and persecution and violence and hatred and evil. We long for this day of justice, We long, Father, for this day when we'll see you face to face, when our faith will become sight. We long for the day when, Lord Jesus, we get to to kneel before you and just to say thank you and to worship you. And so we do pray, come, Lord Jesus, please come.